Cincinnati has been described as the medium place, a location that is a bit bland with not a lot going for it. However, historian Greg Hand has dug up some sensational stories from the Queen City's past that will forever change how you look at everything around you. From the street signs that you live with, the hidden graveyards in your backyard, mad stones to river monsters, Cincinnati proves to be an old, weird place. Of course, listener discretion is advised as Cincinnati was spectacularly weird, but also a little raunchy and lurid at times. So this may not be an episode for the youngest of years. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another wonderful episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents the Hometown Haunts podcast. I am your host, Kat Clogo. Along with me for this ride is Christina Wald and Jen Kohler. You can follow us at on Twitter at SinCabinetCurio and on Instagram at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities. You can also join our Facebook group, Hometown Haunts. We're dying to hear about your personal encounters with the paranormal and fringe history from your neck of the woods. Send it to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com or join and share it in our Facebook group, Hometown Haunts. We're an official podcast that can be heard wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you, Jen. And if you want to see us while we're doing the show, it's not live, it's recorded, but hi. I'm right here. You can watch the video feed on YouTube. Find us by searching Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities and please rate and review us so other spooky history lovers just like yourself can find us. Link, of course, is in the show notes. And we have a wonderful listener review. Christina, will you please read it for us? I recently listened to your podcast. Love it and will be listening more from Lauren Long. Thank you, Lauren. That, that Wow, I sounded kind of accusatory. Thank you. Lauren, if that is your name. Yes, thank you. That's great. I'm glad you, you joined us on this wonderful podcast. And if you have any podcast story ideas, please send them over to us at hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. We're always looking for topics that everyone is curious about. Still researching all those strange cults around Southwest Ohio. That's fun. Everyone is strange. People are strange. So, show news. So we will be at the inaugural Frogman Fest this March 4th at Great Wolf Lodge Conference Center in Mason, Ohio. We have copies of both issues of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Comics Anthology, in addition to cryptid posters, stickers, and stickers. A uh, friend of the show and author extraordinaire, James Willis, will, is a featured speaker, along with other folklorists, cryptid zoologists, and artists. There is more information to be found at frogmanfestival.com. Also, that same month, just a few weeks later, we will be at the first ever Highland Heights Comic Con in, at Northern Kentucky University's Student Union, Union on March 18th, 2023. If you are an artist or vendor interested in the event, you can reserve a table on their Kickstarter campaign. The link is so long, it's going directly into our show notes because I cannot possibly read it on air. <laughs> but... It's, it's great, and I have a table, and a number of other local artists who are featured in the comics anthology also have tables already. Also, we are hard at work on issue three of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities comics anthology, and uh, more information as that comes along throughout the year. So, 
on to tonight's show. We have our friend of the show back, Greg Han. I am going to read Greg's biography here for all of those new listeners that we have had over the course of the few months between episodes. So Greg Hand is the proprietor of the Cincinnati Curiosities blog. We are not related. We both picked these names <laughs> at different times. And I swear I did a searches, but we're not related, but we're wonderful and we're friends. So yay, all of us. He began writing for the Western Hills Press while still in high school and after graduating from the University of Cincinnati, worked for several years as a reporter and eventually editor for the press newspapers. He returned to the University of Cincinnati where he headed the public relations office. During his time at UC, Han co-authored three books about the university with Kevin Grace. Since his retirement from the university, Han contributes history content regularly to Cincinnati Magazine and WCPO-TV Cincy Lifestyles show. With Molly Wilman and Kent Malloy, Han presents entertaining history chats in bars and saloons throughout through a program called Stand Up History. We are talking with him tonight because not only is he an interesting guy, but also you wrote a new book, right, Greg? And that yes, book indeed. has one of the longest titles I have ever read. <laughs> I am going to read it out once. And for the rest of the night, we're referring it to Cincinnati Curiosity. So here goes. It is called Cincinnati Curiosities, Healing Powers of the Walmsy Madstone, Nocturnal Exploits of Old Man Dead, Mezopause Naked Ride, and more. And as the topic of tonight's show, and man, this was a wonderful book to read. I have enjoyed the full week it took me to read. I read slowly. <laughs> Everyone laugh now. Yes. But yes, it was great. And Christina, you got a book. And Jen, I know you're excited about it too. It's like our first entry into our book club it is it is kind of yeah it is. we have been talking about it greg for the past few episodes of starting a paranormal book club i think we've just found the first entry and yes yeah so proud to got, be a part of it yes thank you for coming back to the show too you've been a wonderful friend to the show and i love seeing all the posts on reddit that pop out because i'm like hey it's greg it's whenever they <laughs> come to the top of the Cincinnati boards. So I always, and I read Cincinnati Curiosities blog still. I just love the history that you find and how you find it. So uh, for our listeners who haven't joined us before, they're all new. How do you find the strange curiosities in Cincinnati's history to write about? Well, as, as you mentioned, I used to work at, at the university of Cincinnati and I used to work with, um, a wonderful fellow by the name of Kevin Grace. And, and Kevin, you know, I've got one book out. Uh, uh, Kevin, I think, has 12 or 13 books wow. on Cincinnati history. He, he does, uh, he's done Cincinnati sports. He's done Cincinnati cemeteries. Uh, he's done the literary history of Cincinnati. Uh, just just a, lot of, uh, a lot of things. And, and with Kevin... I wrote the three books that you mentioned uh, about the University of Cincinnati itself. And in the course of doing that, uh, you, you have to do a lot of research. And as I'm sure you're aware, when you do research on something, you find other things. Yes. And so I, I kept sticking these weird things that I found in a file. And when I retired, I was cleaning out my cabinets and I, I found this file and I thought, you know, I could probably 
do a blog, you know, and that'll keep me busy for a month or two. And it's been eight and a half years. <laughs> yeah. And I keep finding stuff, you know, know. it's just like you look for something and, and then you find stuff. What's, what, what is really important to me and why I love uh, doing interviews and, and getting out there where people can ask questions is a lot of the best material comes from people asking questions that would never occur to me. It would never occur to me to look up that topic. And when I do, I always find three or four things that are going to turn into blog posts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what I was noticing, and I mentioned this before the show, was reading through everything. One, I'm really familiar with how you write due to the blog, but how this book is written is masterfully done because every topic seamlessly flows into the next. And I'm sitting there as an editor and a writer myself. I'm like, this is brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant. I've only seen one other piece of media ever do this. And that is a rock album from an Australian band. So I was, that was my little piece of just praise. Just, that's hard to do. Uh, that, and that, everything that, really, that really warms my heart because yeah. that was the intent of the book. The, the, the thing about blogs and, and probably about podcasts, too, is you get pieces, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the blog is about a thousand words a week. And and when I do a script for CPO, that's that's about 400 words. And so you get these pieces mm -hmm. and uh, because you get the pieces. It's sometimes difficult to remember that there there's actually a thesis behind the blog. There, there's a theme to the blog. There's a, a reason I started it. And, and the, when I was invited to do the book, I thought this, this is the opportunity. This is yeah. the opportunity to lay out the thesis and, and let people see like the 10,000 foot view. Mm -hmm. And then if they understand this, then I can go back to doing the piece. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It worked wonderfully well. And it's, definitely just one of the best put together books I think I've read in a very long time. So, well, as a, so much. yeah, especially as a researcher, like, because my background is all in anthropology. So I always love all the citations too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I know Christina, you had a question about all the photos, the illustrations. Oh yeah. I mean, I just really enjoyed them. A lot of them I hadn't seen before and it, it is, where where's your main resource for is it the public library obviously is probably the biggest resource of these sorts of things or like how oh, good the, is their the, archive um, you know the um the reason the reason i started the blog on tumblr is twofold uh number one it's really simple it's 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 uh uh, old guy, non-digital, native, simple. And, and so that was one reason. The other reason uh, I, I put it on Tumblr is one of my favorite blogs is um, an art blog called This Isn't Happiness that, that appears on, on Tumblr. And, and the guy who does that is a constant source of in, inspiration to me. And... Um, so uh, to, to get it read outside Tumblr, 
uh, I cross post. So I cross post to um, Reddit and I cross post to uh, a page on Facebook called Old Photos of Cincinnati. And if it's old photos of Cincinnati, you pretty much need a photo. So I started out looking for one photo, maybe two, so that it would legitimately appear on um, on old photos of Cincinnati. One of the benefits of working across media when when I got contacted by WCPO, you know, would you would you like to contribute to our show? They need 40 images. Wow. Every package I turn in. Wow. That's so many. So I, I went from one or two images to 40 images because in in a, a, a four or five minute segment, you gotta you gotta keep things moving. It's television, right? Mm-hmm. And so that sent me on um, these expeditions into the internet to find where you could find historic photos. One of these days, somebody is going to do a version of Google image search that searches for vintage images. It's almost useless for for looking for vintage images. Mm-hmm. So what I discovered is, as, as Christina pointed out, Cincinnati Public Library is an absolute gem. Uh, until they were uh, hacked, uh, the um, historical library at the museum center was an extremely good source. They're they're not fully back online yet. Well, that's uh, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! It it, it, it was like cutting off my leg when. Mm-hmm that research resource disappeared. Uh, Library of Congress um, is is usually pretty good. But one of my prime sources, and they, they appear a lot in the, uh, in the book, is a publication called the Illustrated Police News. Ooh, wow, that's and, wild. And they have searchable um, archives of the Illustrated Police News at the University of Minnesota, wow. which has which has a really good um, archival search system, and at Villanova University, mm-hmm. and there there's not many illustrations that are accurately linked to Cincinnati, but it's the same stuff. Mm-hmm. So. So when I was writing about sea monsters, nobody in Cincinnati drew a picture of the Cincinnati Ohio River sea monster. Mm-hmm. I love that picture in the book. Yeah, but I do too. yeah, that that came from the University of Minnesota. Wow. And and the Illustrated Police News archive that that they have there. So you find things like that. You find uh, for for a lot of African American history, mm-hmm. uh, the Schomburg Center at the New York Public Library is is dynamite. Um, Chicago um, uh, Public Library has a pretty good image source. Um, there, are, there are some image sources that they'll drive you nuts, but they occasionally have good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one called Pickrill. Um, you know, so, so over the years, <laughs> I've got 
quite a collection of go-to places just to come up with these images because um, the intent is to show people what life was like. And, and, and so even if I can't find something from Cincinnati, I'll find something contemporary that gives the same flavor. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really important. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it's. I found that also with research, too, is that you're going to oftentimes, if the Cincinnati Inquirer didn't save it, something like the Akron Beacon Journal did. And you'll yeah. find it just or even outside the country. It sometimes I, I think uh, for my book, I found articles from Great Britain that had were yeah. reporting on um, this was the Seely Rose murders of 1896 up in northern Ohio. And they reported on it, but not a lot of the local newspapers did. Now, interestingly talking. enough, I've, I've been talking about the American publication called the Illustrated Police News at University of Minnesota in Villanova. Mm-hmm. But there's also a British publication with the exact same name um, <laughs> that if you have a subscription to newspaper archives, you, you can get to. And so, uh, yes, so uh, it, and it's <laughs> once I discovered that 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 this British tabloid, I mean, you know, this is like the weekly world news of Victorian Britain. Uh, mm-hmm. Once I discovered that they existed, of course, I searched them for anything they had on Cincinnati. Yeah. You know, because it was all about decapitations and uh, kidnappings and oh, ghosts yeah. and all sorts of stuff. You know? Yeah. I found the scandal sheets were really great information for the more off-center news of the day. So, yeah, you know, you know, when I watch your stuff, uh, mm-hmm. the Cabinet of Curiosities, I keep being reminded of of the scene in Men in Black, oh. where 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 uh, where he takes the new guy and he says. Uh, yeah, let's find the real news. And he goes, you read this stuff? And he goes, yeah, they, they get all the good stuff that the uh, New York Times misses, you know? Oh, yeah. And I think we're like, we're like the men in black. We're, <laughs> we're digging it up from the scandal sheets yes. back in Victorian England. Yeah, like the scandal sheets or even the little mentions that are in like the middle of the entire newspaper. They yes. may be a sentence long. My favorite to this date is 1908. A tornado hit Hyde Park. It went down Observatory Avenue, and the why it was memorable is it killed a man and his mule. Yep, there you go. Down Observatory, and, and I know the exact spot. It hasn't changed. <laughs> so, <laughs> you so don't see I, many mules out there, though. No, you don't see many mules out. But the next time somebody says, "Well, tornadoes never hit Ohio or not Ohio, oh, yeah. Cincinnati," you can say, "In fact." In 1908, it killed a man and his mule. And his mule. In Hyde Park. So, yeah, and that was not a scandal sheet, but it was just a little police blotter. Right. On a random Tuesday from, I think, the Cincinnati Post. So. This might be a weird question, but, like, I was reading this Lachlan UFO story. Like, how often, and this makes me sound like, well, that should be on the show. (laughs) Um, how often, like in the 1800s, do you see these sorts of, because you were talking about going to all these different police blotters and stuff. Right. How often do you see people finding unexplained lights? I mean, Lachlan, it looks like it was an egg-shaped UFO. and That, that, that story developed 
actually, um, I had found a picture of an airplane in a tree and, and decided to follow up on it. And I did a series of blog posts on Cincinnatians who tried to build airplanes, oh, yes. probably after the Wright brothers. I remember uh, that. None, none of these were pre-Wright brothers, I, I don't think. This one uh, was 1890-something. And, and just had, uh, you know, really uh, terrible uh, luck building their airplanes. But it always leads to a question, what do you search for? Because if you search for airplane, you're not gonna you're not gonna find anything before 1920. Nobody called them airplanes before 1920. So you have to you have to get in their heads. Uh, wh what would they have called these things in the air? And so uh, aerial ships and um, aeronautical engines and you know you, you just try to think of synonyms that that would have been appropriate and trying one of those synonyms i went oh my goodness here's here's a ufo they didn't call it a ufo uh you know they i, I think they called it an aerial phenomenon or something like that and um and that that's where that came from and once i found what they called it um i went down a rabbit hole and I didn't find another UFO in this area. Mm -hmm. um, what I found was a lot of meteor showers. Ah. And, and some of them quite phenomenal. But, but that's the only, the only and the oldest UFO uh, that I was able to find from that era. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and, and then, uh, I mean, we could talk about everything in this book pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, I brought up the... a few different topics that we could talk about. Yeah. yeah. Well, but because right about... underneath it is the, the Ohio River monsters. So, oh, yeah. yeah. That was, but what is it about Saddamsville? Why is there always stuff happening there? We Isn't that amazing? Of, I know, yeah. right? Witches. And what was the other thing? There's like a couple things. Yeah. There, there, was... there, there were witches. There, there was the spooky divorce. Yeah. Yes. Which we and, had you on and, talking about before. Yeah. And um, and I have a, a slideshow that I go out and talk about the spooky divorce. But I always, because a lot of people watch things like Ghost Hunters and that, uh, I, I always begin that slideshow saying, what's the deal with Sedamsville? You know, they got the haunted rectory yes. out there. And, uh, and, and I'm going to be talking about this spooky divorce and... And we've got people accused of witchcraft. <laughs> what is the deal? And the funny thing is, uh, a friend of mine, this is some years ago, uh, back when uh, the, the urban pioneer movement was going on, he and his wife bought two houses in Sedamsville. I think they paid a total of $1,000 for two, two buildings in Sedamsville. One of them, they... they refurbished and lived in and the other one they they rented out to a rotating menagerie of very weird people <laughs> and and uh and so i was i was hitting him i go did 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 uh you get any vibes in sedanville and they go oh yeah you know 
third floor landing, absolutely haunted. You know, so out there, right off River Road, Boldface Park. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. Sorry. Take, take take along your your crucifix and vampire. Uh... <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And it was interesting about the witch's story about Saddamsville too. Kind of helped flush out a lot of a story from Alexandria, Kentucky, that I've been working on about the witch's tree, which no longer stands. But it actually helped fill in a lot of the cultural gaps about people's beliefs of witchcraft in the area. And I know uh, Alexandria, Kentucky is not necessarily Cincinnati, but you still had that pioneer feeling around at the same time. So it was wonderful reading about that in that section of the book because I'm like, oh, this answers so many little, little questions that I had about witchcraft and how people treated it here. This is uh, investigating witches was one of those circumstances where uh, I I was disappointed I do not speak German because um, most of the witchcraft stories that I've found on on this side of the river dealt with very Germanic people. Um, So there was an entire family in the over the Rhine that was accusing a lady in the building of of, uh, witchcraft, the Sedamsville case, all all of these were Germanic uh, people. And I I just have a feeling that there's a different term. If, If I knew German, which witchcraft might not be what they called it. it you know there might be some other cultural thing from germany you know just like um, uh, for instance uh, we call um medicine men among the american indians or witch doctors in in africa and that's not the term they use you know there there's 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 a concept there that the language barrier keeps me from fully understanding. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's um, like root workers instead of being hoodoo or voodoo. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. If you're yeah, in yeah, Louisiana, yeah. you're not looking for hoodoo queens or kings. You're looking for root workers. There you are go. looking for particular objects that they would have on hand. But only those who know would know to look for that or okay. even phrase it that way. So, John the Conqueror. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, yeah, that was a really interesting one about the witches. And now I have my own little black silk here. Mickey has entered the chat. That's my dog. So <laughs> so if you hear dog tags, it, it's her. I'm not haunted. Nothing's haunted back here. Aww, <laughs> we, we sometimes get listeners, Greg, who go, I heard something at this point in time in the oh, audio. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah, really appreciate go. it because sometimes other other radio shows I've been a host of, we've had odd audio anomalies pop up i love it when people report it to us but just for our listeners now there is a dog in the studio so (laughs) just like there's cats over at jen and christina's house so exactly yeah so i love the ohio river monsters staying kind of on the banks of the ohio river because i have learned about the ohio river mermaids i have learned about the crosswick snake i of course know about the loveland frogman the yep. internationally known Loveland Frogman. <laughs> and then you found basically three more stories 
I, I believe, at least one that has two sightings and then another monstrous snake in Indiana. Yep. And how did you find these articles? Just lots and lots of reading. Uh, again, you, you bump into one mm -hmm. and, and you pay attention to uh, the adjectives. And so you do a search and then another one turns up. Um, a, a really interesting thing happened. Uh, I did a version of the river monsters uh, for WCPO and, um, and, and um, the day that I was there to talk about it, there was a, a woman from uh, Orsanko, the Ohio River uh, Sanitation Commission, and uh, and and the cameras aren't rolling yet, and the host is going, "Come on, sea monsters? Is there really anything like that?" And I said, "Well, you know, I think the record for a catfish caught in the Ohio River is something like eight feet," mm -hmm. and the host is going, "No, no way." There's no eight. Well, off camera, <laughs> the lady from Rosanko is going, you know, there's a seven and a half foot albino catfish stuffed and mounted in our offices. Wow. <laughs> wow. That, that is a river monster. <laughs> wow. And so uh, having, having caught, you know, some one foot, foot and a half catfish yeah. in my life, if they're eight foot long, their mouth is big enough to swallow me. <laughs> and catfish eat anything. Yeah. They could and survive so well in the Ohio River. They may glow yeah. at night, but they'll survive. <laughs> and then the the other thing that I noticed about that story is it occurred at dawn. Oh. It occurred at dawn. And one of the things that I learned uh, from my friend Molly Wellman is that when cocktails were introduced to Cincinnati, uh, they were kind of marketed as um, something to get your appetite started before breakfast. So you would you would kind of wake up and have a cocktail to get the juices going. So it's so like orange juice plus. Right. It's like and a mimosa so, in the morning. And, and, then... and so at dawn, here's this guy going across the Ohio River Bridge. And my first question to him was, would you have had breakfast? You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and what was it? Yeah. And, when, and how much? What, 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 how, how, many, how many breakfasts did you have? <laughs> <laughs> Very good question. Well, you know, like even when you go to Newport Aquarium, and see some of the river, like the oarfish and stuff like that. They're huge and very oh, yeah, prehistoric yeah. looking. Sturgeons. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could easily and, think and, that they were uh, monsters. Snapping turtles. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I haven't seen one locally, but when I was uh, when I was a teenager, I was in Chicago at the Shedd Aquarium. There was a snapping turtle. That was every bit as big as the Volkswagen I used to drive. <laughs> I mean, they, they get pretty good size too. Yeah. Indiana has the beast of Vesco, which is a yeah. giant snapping turtle. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's a little bit further North of our particular viewing area, but in Busco is short for a very long word that is escaping me at the moment, but yeah, it, it's it's a big snapping turtle, and they love it as much as Scotland loves Nessie. It's just <laughs> everywhere. So, so that's 
that that's that's how you track these things down. You find one, and then just keep searching, and 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 the other ones will eventually pop up. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So thank you. That was great. I liked reading all about more river monsters and strange snakes in the forests of Ohio. I don't know what Indeed. it is with Ohio and large monstrous snakes. This one was like what two and a half feet in diameter. Oh my goodness! Diameter. The they have and, of these things. Yeah, and over twenty feet long. It reminded me a lot of the Crosswick snake. It just didn't have legs. Oh yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, I so. wonder if there was more like large. I don't want to. Would you call it reptiles and stuff? Just because as civilization has gotten more. A lot of animals have died out. Like I, it, one wonders. Like there is some pretty big stuff in rivers, and and a lot of the big predators and stuff get driven away because people don't like them eating their kids. <laughs> and and one wonders if a lot of those animals, kind of with increased river traffic and stuff like that, that happened in the 1800s, how many it killed them. Like when you think about, for example, the um, you know pink dolphins that are in. The Amazon are now yeah. extinct and they, you know, would get damaged by boats and, and stuff like that. And one wonders if there were some species like that that just we never knew about, but somehow got extinct. And I, I think it I think it works both ways, because um, the the reason you have eight foot catfish today is because we put dams in. And so and so the catfish uh, just settle at the bottom of the dams and uh, and just sit there and eat anything that that bumps into the dam you know and uh back when the sea monsters were reported in the ohio river there there were times and there there are photographs where you could walk across the ohio from newport to to cincinnati without getting much wet but your knees you know and so uh uh, the, the, the water, water level just wasn't deep enough, uh, to really have huge monsters, but today it is, uh, you know, because of all these aids to navigation we've put in. So it does cut both ways, but yeah, you're probably right. Uh, when, when people, uh, from Europe first showed up, you know, there were bison and bears and mountain lions and, they report elk in this area and all of that was hunted um, to extinction in Ohio. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing I thought was really interesting and I, I see this is on your list cat was hollow earth theory. Cause yeah. I was like, that's something people still like, that's a conspiracy theory. That's still popular. Why do you think it's so well, popular? I was going to say, have you been really to good. Hmm? Have you been to Hamilton to see the monument? I have not. Now I need to go. Yeah, Actually, yeah. what I was going to say was a good transition was to the fossil record that we have here in Ohio oh, yeah. because of the river. And I, I had completely forgotten that we were an inland sea at one point and we have our own official fossil here in the city. Yeah. But yeah, the, the hollow earth theory too is super interesting. And I had no idea that and striptease had its orange oranges no origins in cincinnati and that were two great takeaways i got from this book yeah it's the weirdest thing up in hamilton it's it's uh there's a relatively large park that has 
at one corner, it's got kind of a small playground. And then at the other corner, it's got, it's got this grave. And, and in fact, uh, uh, we, we were talking earlier about, uh, about all the graveyards in Cincinnati. And this is a case where uh, this park in Hamilton used to be a graveyard and buried uh, in the graveyard is uh, John Cleve Sims Jr. And atop his tombstone is a model of the hollow earth because that was his theory. His theory was, uh, was that the earth was hollow and that if you went far enough north, you would get access through a large hole to the interior um, of the earth. And uh, very, very, very oppositional to the geologic theory that revealed, um, as, as Kat has indicated, that we used to be underneath an inland sea. Uh, and, uh, and, and we are so well known for fossils. Uh, some years ago, about 20 years ago, the Cincinnati Museum Center hired a, uh, a new invertebrate paleontologist from England, a uh, delightful, a delightful fellow named Nigel Hughes. And uh, I was talking to Nigel, who is now at uh, the University of California, Riverside, about his appointment uh, to Cincinnati. And he said, oh, all the paleontologists in England were so jealous of me. They heard I was going to Cincinnati and they all said, oh, Cincinnati, where the fossils just roll down the streets when it rains. <laughs> I really wish that was it is true in some areas of cincinnati the fossils yeah. do just fall out of the um the cut in the hill and other oh yeah 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 um but i'm just thinking of my street and fossils just rolling down rolling it. down like, the street yeah it's it's i remember as a kid like living in mount washington and like the stones on our driveway had all sorts of shells and mm -hmm. stuff in yeah them. the uh every year the um uh, the Cincinnati Mineral Society and a group called the Dry Dredgers, which is the local paleontology group, uh, they they combine forces and put on a um, um, an Earth Science show in Sharonville. And every year, I, I I do a shift at the identification booth. Well, the first year I did this, where I I was still new to the field. Um, uh, one of the more experienced uh, collectors took me aside and she said, um, look, if somebody brings something in and says, I found this in my backyard, it's from Cincinnati. <laughs> she said, there's oh, no other great. place in the United States that you can say that. Wow, but that's they... great. That's so interesting. And I didn't even know it. I mean, I feel like I've learned so much from reading this. Yeah. So. Yeah, because in Sharonville, we have that big... It's oh, Trammell Fossil Park. Yeah, the Fossil Park. And it, now I really need to go there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I haven't been there yet. Yeah, it, it's just the idea of being able to just take a scoop of dirt and then shift through it and find just pieces of trilobites and other fossilized um, plants and 
animals no not animals but plants <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> not for that particular period we didn't have so many there was, was but it's pretty extraordinary but... yeah and, and i said it's extraordinary and i i didn't think anything of it as a kid you know it's just like yeah you just i'm constantly and when i was in college state, um, and that explains when like i was that. in college one of my classmates was a witch and um one day um I don't even remember why I had a fossilized brachiopod and, and I gave it to him and I said, uh, I said, uh, yeah, this is 450 million years old. And, and he, he just grabbed it in his hand and closed his eyes and started weeping. And, you know, are, are, are you okay? Are you okay? And he says, he says, I'm, I'm sensing, I am sensing the weight of the millennia and so he 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 asked i gave it to him and apparently that that fossil at least back then was put on uh one of his uh one of his altars uh, oh someplace. yeah yeah i can see that yeah. yeah it's amazing yeah and uh, going back to hollow earth theory, I know we're kind of jumping around because yeah, yeah. all of these were really interesting. <laughs> um, it, it's, it, it inspired Jules Verne to write. Yeah. And, and it still inspires today because there was a Disney movie that just came out. That's about the hollow earth theory in a different way, but it's still, that's kind of what it's all about. And it's just amazing that that theory came about because there was also the um theosophists i think i said that wrong um oh, the theosophists yeah. theosophists there we go um that entire sect of basic and, and that and also the sunday school for atheists like <laughs> i i'm reading through this i'm like man between 18 60 to 1890s Cincinnati went through so much influence of theology and spiritualism and it's interesting just seeing it play out on the pages of your book so yeah it, 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 and then it created the hollow earth theory <laughs> yeah, that, that whole uh, theosophy thing. section came about uh, actually, I, um, a, fr a friend of mine is um, on the faculty at the Art Academy, and he happened to mention that um, um, there, there was an occult practitioner uh, who at the time was also uh, on the faculty at the Art Academy who had done research and discovered that most of the founders of the Art Academy were theosophists. Oh. And and you know my first reaction is ah, you're kidding me and the more i dug into it the more i saw yeah this guy's probably probably accurate there were there were some very strange uh very strange people connected with the origins uh of the art academy to the extent that the national united states theosophy organization had its annual conference in cincinnati when was and, this or back and, then and this this would have been 1905 you know somewhere mm -hmm. in that general area and so um you know it, it's 
it's the kind of thing where if, 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 if an organization like that had its national conference in Cincinnati today, there'd be pickets outside. You just know it. <laughs> and, and it was, it was, you know, it was like, uh, uh, the way the newspaper covered it, it was like, oh, well, you know, the Rotary Club <laughs> is meeting in Cincinnati or, or the Kiwanis and, uh, and the Theosophist. Well, and that was interesting because how did the Lloyd Library tie into that? Because that was all part of, you know, they have some interesting collections too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. John, John Yuri Lloyd. Uh, was uh, one of the stranger people uh, to have ever graced uh, Cincinnati, and the Lloyd Library is basically his legacy. He uh, uh, he he was he was a pharmacist and uh, and uh, uh, a, a botanical chemist and uh, very well respected uh, as a scientist. Um, and, and was able to walk that knife edge where on the one hand, uh, he, he talked the talk with the, um, mainline scientists of the day. And on the other hand, um, he, he would, uh, he would go off and write this stuff on the side that would curl your hair. <laughs> so, uh, so he was really into the hollow earth theory. Um, and, uh. He was really into uh, past life regression and, you know, just, just a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, you don't find many scientists uh, around uh, Cincinnati today that have his breadth. Well, I guess back then they didn't have Twitter, so he couldn't, like, say his really weird ideas. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they still had pamphlets they wrote, though. Well, that's true. Yeah, they, yeah. they did they have did. pamphlets. They and they, pamphlets. they get distributed. <laughs> but... Um, on that topic too with just the society notes because as we know mentioned earlier the scandal sheets and also yeah. the society notif uh, notifications for where places were or groups were meeting we covered this a little bit uh not too long ago on um our 1313 vine street episode where i was reading oh, off yeah, yeah. all the different uh, social groups that were meeting and what time and these were all published in the newspaper but I also particularly loved the Society for the Suppression of Music. Yeah. <laughs> and as, I, I love it. It could be a joke that could work today as well. And also it is our old friend, Harry Far Henry Farney, who was Farney. also friends with um, Lafcardio Hearn, who we also did an episode on a few months ago, if not last year, I think. And uh, it, it's just, such a great little joke that he did i love the seal that was illustrated for it but for our listeners can you explain what the society for the suppression of music was yeah the um there is um uh, there there is uh, one of the true cincinnati eccentrics still alive uh is a gentleman named richard arnold davis and uh dr davis is, is a retired um, paleontology professor from the College of Mount St. Joseph. But uh, he and I got into a conversation one day where he was talking about certain periods in Cincinnati where multiple, multiple things happened that have influenced the future of the city. And one was uh, in, in the late 1800s, you had, you had the May Festival, uh, you had the opera, 
you had the symphony, you had music hall, all of this was kind of coming together at, at the same time. And as you pointed out, in a city where there are people like Lafcadi O'Hearn and Henry Farney, uh, when you've got a movement of that extent, you're going to find a counter movement. And, and this, was, this was Farney, who's, who's a guy where uh, when you walk through the Cincinnati wing of the Cincinnati Art Museum and you see his wonderful paintings of the American West, uh, you don't think of a, a guy who's known for his sense of humor, but Farney was apparently hilarious. And so he's watching the May Festival and, and Music Hall and all this come into existence. And his reaction was to create the Society for the Suppression of Music and, and uh, uh, went into great detail uh, about how um, music had gotten out of hand and that, uh, you know, just anybody felt like they could walk down the street and whistle a tune. And, <laughs> and if you go into any parlor, you're going to find a piano that the, the hope of the house, generally a young lady in pinafores, is pounding out uh, something like the gates of Kiev and uh, just uh, boring the company into soporific stupor. And so he creates this society for the suppression of music with a set of rules, you know, that if you find yourself humming or whistling, you're going to be fined. And that uh, anybody whistling on a streetcar is going to be put to work in a glass factory. And, and the, the, you know, the guy was, the guy was a real nutcase. And, and with, with Lovecati O'Hearn, this was... Uh, prior to the Society for the Suppression of Music, uh, the two of them put out a, uh, uh, a newspaper that is still uh, rather scandalous called Ye Gig Lamps. Yes, uh, we talked about that. Yeah, illustrated by Farney and, and largely written by, by Hearn and all that. But, uh, but yeah, he was uh, quite the card, as they <laughs> used to say. I Just reading all this, my thought was somebody needs to inform Weird Al Yankovic that this yeah. is <laughs> and he needs to write a, a song about the society for the suppression of music. Yeah, there music. you go. <laughs> that sounds there like something is. from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It really does. <laughs> and I love it, like reading through it, just like the newspaper ads that you. Um, have in the book for it and you you read through it and you're like this was clearly satire like yeah. this is very obvious but there were still people who believed it was true uh-huh like, and it's just people never change and i love that and hate it at the same time but it, it's just proof that people never change your habits correct. are the same yeah not everyone gets satire no no <laughs> and sarcasm but I, I loved it. And I, I still really love this illustration of a man taking an axe and he's like <laughs> mid swing and there is a cello on the floor and there is, it looks like um, a violin and a, um, mm, it's not a French horn. It's not a tuba. 
Oh, I forgot. Oh, euphonium. Yeah, euphonium, and uh, it's on the floor, and it's just this wonderful ink illustration of this man going to town on these instruments with an axe. So, oh, (laughs) that could be a good Saturday Night Live skit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Before, uh, before the web, and before uh, Twitter, and uh, and all these things, uh, people used to pass stuff around by fax, by fax machine. And when I was researching the Society for the Suppression of Music and saw this guy with the axe, it reminded me of this thing that was faxed around forever. And and I believe you can find it on the web now. It's it's a fake review of a piano concert given in a Bangkok hotel. And 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 it it's it's written in this overflowing ponderous music critic kind of thing where the guy's in complete seriousness writing about this concert where halfway through the first movement uh, because of the humidity in Bangkok keys start getting stuck and the pianist is trying to adapt and and finally just gets up and walks off the stage and he comes back in with a fire axe and starts (laughs) demolishing the piano (laughs) Now that you mentioned this, I think I remember seeing it yeah, or hearing it, about it. That, that, yeah, yeah. That it, it, if, if you look for a piano concert, Bangkok Hotel, it'll probably yeah, it's gotta be. But that, that was my first thought when I saw that Farney illustration of the guy with the axe. That would, that would fit right in with that story. You were asking uh, earlier, before we got on the air, about Porkopolis, by the way. Yes. And that was satire. That was satire. The yeah. the uh, that was, was a surprise a, to me. Yeah, there was a banker in Cincinnati who dealt with a bank in Liverpool, England, uh, which I found amazing. You know, and this is way back in the 1840s or so, and we've got international connections to the banking system in Cincinnati, and this banker in Cincinnati kept. Uh, kept writing to Liverpool about the numbers of hogs being butchered um, in Cincinnati. And so the banker in England, in Liverpool, had these two paper mache hogs made and shipped them to Cincinnati with a note uh, about Porkopolis. And that, that's where the, the nickname got started. Uh, but it seems like only a banker would be thrilled to step outside his office and land in a pile of pig shit on the (laughs) sidewalk. (laughs) You know, because we had lots of visitors, uh, Fanny Trollope and Mrs. Martineau. And, you know, there was a whole variety of international visitors that came through Cincinnati. Uh, The the Prince of Wales uh, came through Cincinnati. All of them mention how disgusting the pigs are. I mean, this was this was the international reputation of, of Cincinnati. Is that uh, is is that uh, you know um, Fanny Trollope is is writing about trying to cross what was apparently the Deer Creek to get up the Mount Adams uh, to enjoy the view of of the city and realizing that the entire creek was filled with entrails in blood. 
that sounds horrifying. And and so when we say porcopolis, you know, the you know we've we've got our nice little flying pigs, and thank God they couldn't fly because they shit everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it doesn't. I can't look at the flying pig the same way again now. No, no. But it's also kind of ties into why it's called over the Rhine, and as the neighborhood not it wasn't a glamorous title at all and we've really just grabbed onto that and when it's over the ride it's otr (laughs) and i'm like it doesn't mean the thing that you think it means and yeah the the canals and everything ran red with blood during the fall and winter because of all of the oh my goodness yes slaughtered and reading that and <laughs> I was just like, I'm I'm not eating meat for <laughs> two weeks. Like I can't. Just you you describe it so well. You described it that in the zoo. It was the little bit not not for young readers. Let me just say that. That part of the history, not yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. not for young readers. But it's important history. It happened. And this is how people made livings really you can't knock them for if, that if we did not have creeks running with entrails we would not have procter and gamble based in cincinnati today you were right you know they, they yep. were so intimately uh connected because mm-hmm. um, of the soap and, and so it is yeah. it's part of our legacy it is so you gotta own it all these Midwestern towns, and I will say the East Coast, I'm looking at you, textile industry, you weren't any better. Nope. Yep. But, yeah, it was. they're important parts of our history to understand and know. And, uh, yeah, you're right about that, um, Procter & Gamble. But also, wasn't it, there were more pigs during the winter and fall that were slaughtered oh, yeah, yeah. here than there were population of people? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. because the... the um, that that was the season, you know, um, the, the pigs were fattened mm-hmm. uh, out in the hinterlands and they had to bring them to market. And uh, luckily, pigs bring themselves uh, so, <laughs> and they lose less weight on the road when it's cool weather uh, than when it's hot weather. And so that was the season. Also, they didn't have massive refrigeration plants, mm-hmm. and so if you're gonna if you're going to uh, butcher uh, the animals, you want it during a during a cool season. So basically, as soon as as soon as the summer was over and people returned from their summer homes in Glendale, mm-hmm. uh, the city became infested with porcine herds tromping through the the various Tony downtown neighborhoods. Wow. Now that I'd like to see a video of, I'd like to see like, you know, a time machine with video to see that. Cause it just oh, sounds history so and color. Yeah. 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 Like, they do that? Just, I, I think that'd be so interesting. And I mean, the thing that, that, Oh, and one, one thing I, I we could talk about everything in this book. Cause like every page, I, I was surprised to find out that we had like tablets that were found in Cincinnati. Oh yeah. The- oh yeah. 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 Yeah, the uh, that is one where um, um, my my friends call it woo. <laughs> you know, woo. If, 
woo, you know, like, uh, you know, this tablet could be a key to the secrets of the universe, you know. And yeah. Hey, I buy it. My, my friends call discussions like that woo. And so the Cincinnati tablet is replete with woo. Uh, you, search you, you search for that. You search for Cincinnati tablet and, oh, my gosh, the stuff that you find online, you know, it's, you know, it's a map. It's a map. Obviously, the alien visitors use this map to find the planet Earth. Uh, or uh, it's a calendar, or um, it, uh, the, the one I like and, and really think it has some chance of actually being the case is that it's a tattoo flash, that, that you would have uh, inked one side and pressed it uh, onto the skin and then, uh, and then punctured the skin to mm -hmm. get the pattern in there um but yes um mound street mound street a little bit of mound street still exists out in the west end and it used to extend down to fifth street and when they wanted to uh run mound street below fifth street um they demolished the mound that mound street was named for and in the course of doing that uh, they found the Cincinnati tablet. They also found some skeletal remains. Um, and I, I forget uh, which one is the real one. Uh, Museum Center and the Art Museum both have Cincinnati tablets, and one's a replica and one's, one's the actual thing. And I, I, I think the real one is at the Museum Center. Yeah, and, that's where I thought it was. Yeah, the replica's at, at the Art Museum. Yeah. Uh, but it, 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 in certain circles, uh, obsessed with Wu, um, it is extremely well known. It's one of, one of the more famous artifacts found in Cincinnati. It kind of reminds me of the crystal skulls. That's what yeah, I was yeah. thinking. Yeah. I yeah. Was, who do? Yeah. I, I get, <laughs> yeah. I never thought that we had something similar to the crystal skulls in, in notoriety. Uh, here in Cincinnati and originated in Cincinnati. And I also, and I don't know why it never occurred to me. I love visiting all the Dina and Hopewell mounds around uh -huh. Southern Ohio. It's one of my favorite things to do is go hiking and appreciate all the mounds and the ones that are intact and how we work to keep them intact. And uh, it, I don't know why I never thought about them being on the plateau. That is where downtown Cincinnati is, yeah. but it makes sense. And they and unlike Marietta, Ohio, that preserved their mound in the middle of the city, Cincinnati was just like, nah, we got to go through this and let's see how many bones we find. <laughs> and the, uh, you know, uh, how many movies? Let's just limit it to movies are based on something being built on an Indian graveyard. Yeah, thank you, Poltergeist. You know? Right, and. I mean, you could you could make a long list. And so essentially, downtown Cincinnati was built on an Indian graveyard. And then so, reused so the, land. Yeah. So the entire the entire downtown area should be a, a nice horror film. And actually, when you think about some of our government. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not going to go there. 
Yeah. Well, you know, that's a good segue into, like I said, there's just so many juicy stuff. Like the Aaron Burr story, like, seemed to resonate so well with today. Some guy that got ousted out of government and is, like, trying to start his own revolution. I mean, I didn't know that about Aaron Burr. Right? Yeah, oh, the, really? uh, yeah, the, the, uh, also in the West End, uh, there, there are two streets, John Street and Smith Street. And they are both named after the first senator uh, from Ohio. So uh, uh, Ohio became a state in 1803, and we had to elect uh, somebody to represent us in uh, in Congress. And uh, a guy named John Smith, who was he came here as a preacher, came here as a as a, a pastor of of a church that didn't last very long, and then got relatively rich uh, selling supplies to um, uh, the army at, at Fort Washington. But anyway, he, he got elected uh, senator. And so um, uh, having some contacts in, in Washington, he got to know Aaron Burr. And so after the famous duel uh, where Aaron Burr killed Alexander Hamilton, uh, Burr decided that he was going to go west and provoke Mexico into attacking the United States. Uh, his belief then was that the United States would attack back and easily defeat Mexico and that he could ride in as the president of the territory uh, recovered from Mexico. So he was he was planning on becoming an emperor. <laughs> and and so it's still unclear the role John Smith played, but John Smith uh, had a house uh, out on the Little Miami River. And uh, as far as I know, the house is still there. Uh, at one point, um, people used to sh show a pane of glass where uh, Burr uh, apparently carved his name with a diamond uh, in the glass. But he was here. He was here um, while he was planning this, whether he involved our, uh, our, our senator or not is still, still unclear. But, you know, um, they, they, uh, they, they didn't include this in the Hamilton Opera. I know. Well, maybe Lynn Manuel needs to write another one or something. That's right. The, the sequel will <laughs> undoubtedly include John Smith uh, and Cincinnati. I, I, why not? Why Surprise, not? everyone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, it's, it's just such a good book. I think it's, I encourage everyone to get it. I, I would say. It, I it's encourage you. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> this is like, yeah, I want so mine well signed. I need to get mine signed sometimes. Yeah. So you're doing an event. Oh. We might show up and stalk you. There you go. Don't, don't threaten that. We're going to be very happy and say, please sign the books. That we, okay, okay, we okay. Yeah, we won't actually actively stalk. We'll be there to support you. Yes. <laughs> yes we'll this. Well, you, if, if, if I can throw in an advertisement mm -hmm. on, on how to get books signed, um, as, as you mentioned in the intro, uh, Molly Wellman and I run, run this, uh, this, this uh, operation called Stand Up History. And we were just given a residency 
at Muse Cafe in Westwood. Ooh. So, so uh, starting January 18th and then coming up on February 15th and March 15th, um, um, we'll be doing um, versions of stand-up history. There's about, there's about 10 people involved. And so, uh, so the first show is uh, a young lady named Amy Whalen who writes about grisly murders. Uh, and uh, Dean Regis from the observatory and myself will mm -hmm. be the, the first three in January. And then um, I don't think Molly is going to show up until March, but every third, every third Wednesday, if you go to Muse Cafe in Westwood around 7 p.m. What street is it on? It's at the corner of Harrison and Montana. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. It's almost walking distance from here. I was about to say, and what graveyard was that built on? <laughs> Actually, it was built on what used to be the Five Mile House. Oh yeah, you mentioned that in the book. Yeah, there, there, there. Are, uh, most of the major thoroughfares in Cincinnati had mile houses uh, on them, and uh, yeah, the. Um, yeah, I was doing some research for one of the local radio reporters. She had discovered a well in somebody's front yard on Reading Road in Roselawn Ooh. and wanted to know why there was a well, like a wishing well. Oh. Uh, and, uh, and sure enough, it was one of the mile houses. And so, yeah, uh, Muse Cafe was the site of the five mile house. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll have to definitely go to one of those. Yes, we will. That sounded like a threat for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> what are we doing do tonight? Jeez, I'm very stern. <laughs> Jed's very concerned. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, did they find anything in the wishing well? Um, I, I, I never found out. Uh, it, it, it is the strangest thing. I get these over the transom questions mm -hmm. and I'll spend, you know, four or five hours uh, chasing down a rabbit hole and I'll, I'll write something up and, and send it to people. And I would say about half the time, I never hear <laughs> follow. Oh man. Sometimes, oh, sometimes people get back to me and go, well, thank you. That was, that was so helpful. I discovered this mm -hmm. and, and that, that sends me on a, another chase. But in this case, I, I sent this stuff in, never heard what, what came of it. Came <laughs> Yeah, hmm. you can let your imagination fill up that well. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, for our listeners, can you tell them where they can find more of your work? I know the yeah. book is with History Press, but what is your Tumblr and all that information as well? Yeah, the easiest way to find me online is just to do a search for Cincinnati Curiosities, and that's a great search because it will not only turn up me, but it will turn up the Cincinnati cabinet of curiosities. And if you get the two of them mixed up, uh, I'm, I'm all in favor of that. Yeah. Uh, we but, talk to each other frequently. So. There you go. Exactly. Um, but as far as finding a, a physical copy of the book, I usually give a plug to downbound books in Northside. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the folks there um, call me up every time they get a new shipment and they seem to get a new shipment every couple of weeks. And I go Ooh. down and sign the entire box for them. Nice. Uh, they, they, they seem to be, 
working overtime to keep it in stock. That's wonderful. I'm writing this down. Yeah, and and they have a good selection other than my book. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's I love supporting all of our local brick and mortar bookstores. Um, it's we have a number of them kind of popping yep. up all over the city. So Downbound Books in Northside. Yep. So that's wonderful. Thank you. And for all of you listeners, you can also follow us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter and at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. Please remember to join our Facebook group at Hometown Haunts, where we'll have all the links to Greg's information where you can find his books and in Tumblr and all that other wonderful stuff. So thank you for listening. For myself, Christina, and Jen, stay, stay, stay. I, I can do outros. Stay safe. Stay spooky and have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so Bye. much. Thanks, Greg. <laughs>